I mean, it, dude, it was so fucking scary. Like full sprint dropped his shit and came yeah. at you. And I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I had a camera in my hand and I was like, what the fuck is going on? And whatever, after a minute or 30 seconds, whatever it was, you had gotten rid of it. And I was so just turned off. I was like, all right, packing my shit up, getting ready to go. Like, I don't know what the fuck's going on down here. This day is fucking cursed. Let's get out of here. And you go, you don't want to shoot that slappy still? What's up, skaters? Welcome back to another fantastic episode. Probably the best we've ever done yet to see. But with us, we have former Austin oil magnate who gave his fortune to the bushes, turned local urban design expert Ted Barrow. Then we have, <laughs> shifting to the Southwest, we have taken up by the body of deceased Santa Fe legend Cormac McCarthy, Kyle Beachy. <laughs> then we have New Balance's preeminent running influencer, Ryan Lay, followed by Santa Cruz's most underrated DMV local, Alex White. And me, I'm the most famous guy from Astoria, Queens, because nobody has ever heard of Marcello Campanello. I'm Ted Schmitz. Let's do this. Wow. <laughs> wow. I had Marcello uh, shout out. You weren't kidding about peaking. Pretty good. <laughs> That's the intro. Um, we have a hit broadcast TV program on the schedule to talk about. That's not King of Queens. We have legends. We're going to talk about some legends. <laughs> Spoiler, he's old and he's white. And we have a young <laughs> Japanese fellow to talk about, followed by some discussion about pro skating and cool things out of the bay. Uh, <laughs> what diversity. <laughs> Speaking of white, I won't say... Actually, I can't say old because the name of the show, star, host, that's it, those two things, yeah. of this old ledge at the best website on planet Earth, Ted Barrow, welcome. Oh, glad, glad to meet all of you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge fan of Ben City, like what you guys do, it's, it's an honor to be on this uh, on this podcast. The honors are ours, I, I hope we could do it again. Yeah, um, no, it would be great. Well, let's let's start from the beginning, even though uh, season one's wrapped up and it was a massive success. You are as popular as Kylie Jenner in some circles. Do you want to uh, I know that you've done a, a little bit of a history of it, but do you want to talk yeah. about just the first inklings of the of the project? Yeah, I mean, this would be the stuff that you and I worked on. You're thinking of we could start with the text message and then we could talk about the the dry runs, as you will. Yeah, well, I think that um. I've been living in, in San Francisco for a few years and paying a lot of attention to architecture and immersing myself in 90s skate nostalgia and nerdery, right? And it just seems like a good thing uh, to do a show about this, you know? But my only experience with doing anything where I talk in front of a screen has been um, this really obscure Instagram I used to run. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, and if I learned anything from that time, it was that that those whatever weird skill I developed in that it does not translate into anything else <laughs> and like productive. You couldn't start a, a local brewery with your 
uh, incredible <laughs> skills of oration? No, no, I've, I've actually probably like led to some, you know, iconic watering holes in New York City closing down because of my terrible <laughs> skills on the mic. <laughs> you killed Max Fish. You killed Anchor Steam. <laughs> yeah, I, I may have. Um, but no, I, so the first iteration of it uh, was, you know, us kind of brainstorming and me thinking that I could walk around and kind of feedback style talk about these spots and just reference the archival clips from things that I would kind of repost from other people's pages and stuff on Instagram. And that felt really awkward. I don't know. I would, I, I, I've spent hours like recording myself and then sending it to you and then asking you to look at it, Ted. Uh, and then you'd be like, okay, um, I think I'm going to teach you how to do like premiere. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then we do a two hour long, you know, zoom call. And then, and then you're out in San Francisco and then we tried to record some where you were filming me and that worked a little bit better, but it was still on an iPhone. So with that, through that dry run, I took it to the office at Thrasher and we figured out that I needed a filmer and we needed clean archives and good rips and that it would maybe be more than a minute long. And so, <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. The, the very, the first one, uh, so I saw the, so I saw the second, uh, attempt and it was like, awesome. Here's seven minutes of Ted by the Cardiel Edge, and I got to bring this down to 60 seconds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ba basically an impossible task. But I think I think all of you guys, have all of you walked around a city with Ted? I don't know if Alex has. Have we no, we've hung out under some bridges. <laughs> yeah. Burnside, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Washington Street. <laughs> Washington Street, Burnside. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but even still, you... Like going anywhere with you, it, it's like, uh, I mean, if you have uh, such an astute and curious mind like myself, it's just so awesome that you can that you can look at basically any urban center and pick out some sort of architectural flourish on a building and kind of give you some sense of the time frame or the influence or you can you just have some context to put a, a building's facade in, which totally... It just makes a walk to the store or to the park such a cool and lively experience. And and so even even the seven minute thing, I'm looking at it, realizing it's probably not broadcastable, but still it's like you could see that you are probably the only person that could just be turned on like a uh, like a tour guide, literally, and who could get through that much material about a place that quickly and when you when you do these essentially you're just doing a straight through walkthrough of the place right like two or three takes yeah yeah like we i definitely do a lot of research and preparation and i'll sort of outline a script of what i want to say but a lot of the stuff kind of comes on the fly and i i realized this with like my own patreon and whenever i'm trying to do something online like it never works as well as when you're in front of the thing or in the space. And so it's we, the fit formula that we figured out so far seems to work, which is just like, get me talking about cracks and pucker marks on bricks and, and the rest is history. And you're like Ted, the Jay-Z of urban plaza design. Didn't yeah. you used to do this like architecture tours for students? Yeah. And, and I was, um, and just kind of regular folks. Like I was a licensed walking tour guide in New York city for, almost 10 years um, when I was living there. So I, that was definitely, yeah, I mean, I was, I, I kind of 
was well trained to do this sort of thing. And I would do it for my students for sure. Yeah. And for, you know, friends, whether they wanted to or not. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We wanted it. Okay. Uh, I appreciate that. That's nice of you to say. I have a note, and this may derail the the chronology of the project a little bit, but I have a note that says, nostalgia, bad question mark. (laughs) Do you think that like, as we become adult skaters, like one of the things that I'm concerned about is that like newer skaters have a hard time gaining some sort of cultural traction or something. Do you think that there's like maybe like a problem? Is it a problem that we kind of look back to reinforce like the rebar and concrete of of our early legends and icons like Mike Carroll or um, Cairo, Javante? Henry Sanchez. Yeah, Henry Sanchez. Like, do you think that that this kind of sort of raising up stifles the sort of like introduction of of newer figures in these places because like i I don't know something i think about is like skating for a while kind of was a historical and it was just like oh you were four years ago goodbye here's the new thing what do you think about nostalgia in general just a small question well i think there's like good nostalgia and bad nostalgia there's the way that i try to approach history like as an art historian or whatever, as a historian is like, I don't wish that I were living back in that era. And I don't think that era is, was better or anything. I'm just, I just think it's like, it kind of illuminates and makes you appreciate where, where you are. If you can kind of tell these stories about the past, you know? And it's like, and as far as like, uh, maybe like highlighting some of the pioneers of a scene or the, or the main characters of, of a certain time and in place, you know, these people aren't making money off of this. I'm just meant, I'm just giving them flowers. Like I'm not taking, I'm not taking money. I'm not taking like attention or board sales or anything away from any actual professionals right now. I'm just sort of saying like, this is what, what this place and this time and these clips mean to me, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's, and I'm, I'm speaking at it about it from the outside too, I believe. I mean, I'm not, can like, I, can I hop in here a second, Ted um, yeah. <clears throat> Schmitz? Uh, because I think your question is a good one and it actually is almost exactly what I had really hoped to talk to Ted about tonight, which is like, um, there is a reality of skateboarding's relationship to its own past, right? Like w- we know in dust on an industrial level, um, the, the packaging and repackaging of the past is very much part of sales, right? Like heritage, is Vans entire sort of brand identity, right? Like, well, what is Vans? Vans is the company that's been around from the fucking beginning. Like that's, that's what Vans is. Um, and it, it, it does seem to a certain extent that like right now in particular, that is sort of stagnating, right? Like Vans doesn't know what to do. It's re-releasing the Ford or the Vans Fairlane over and over again, but nobody wants this shoe. So like, it does seem like there is a way that, nostalgia and heritage do it particularly i feel like in the last 10 years have run up against both like their own sort of self-perpetuating system like okay it's it's 2023 it's the 30th anniversary of everything um and so we're like really maxed out right now on that uh, but it, 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 it does sort of raise the question about like, well, what really is new? You know, like everything we see from limousine is extremely cool. Like I love everything limousine does, but like so much of their ethos is rooted in music that came out 20 years ago. Like, 
And this isn't to like put you on your heels and be like, hey man, why are you contributing to our nostalgia fetish? But it, it does make me wonder like, where are we right now? Because we have some of the best, most robust discussions and content about history that we've ever had, right? We have Clyde Singleton doing a four and a half hour interview <laughs> on a podcast that, you know, frankly, Shall was not be named. stagnant wow, years wow, ago. Wow, so wow, like, wow. there is a way that bringing history back to the forefront, like the Marissa interview and Thrasher, like, thank you, does sort of open up new doors. Um, but I don't know, like, I, I'd love to hear what other people think about this. Like, are we, are we reaching a point where skateboarding is in a sort of like closed loop of itself? And Ted, I'm, uh, this, is, this is not the best way to talk about your show because I think your show is one of the most fucking interesting yeah. things that has come out in the last like 15 years about skateboarding because you are infusing it with new levels of kind of discourse, like new levels of talking about a thing, new ways of looking at things we've looked about, looked at a hundred times before. But I would love to hear what other people think about kind of Ted Schmitz's basic question, which is like, where are we right now on the history meter? Like, are we, are, are we kind of, are we in a flat spin heading out to sea to quote the greatest movie of all time? <laughs> I mean, I, I, I have a, a theory and I'll just try this out with all of you and see what you think. Speaking of vans, it's just that like, I sort of think that there is this thing, I guess I've written about this in, on free, so I'll just sort of repeat this, but, uh, I think there was a thing around 1999 when Jeff Rowley got on Vans and he started skating waffles, you know, and his shoe, like his vulcanized model said like 6699 when Vans was founded 30 years before. And here's his shoe, an update of a classic. Right. And that that was skateboarding's first sort of like industry wide nostalgic turn because we are at the millennium. And we're, we all so, sudden started looking back at what had happened over this, like, la not just over this last decade, but within a few years, you had Dogtown and Z-Boys, you had on video doing these documentaries. And you also had this expectation that every skate video from, you know, Girl's Mouse to Flip Sorry to Menic Mati, I'm putting, I know that's a little bit out of order, but every skate video was going to be like the most advanced thing you were you're still there's this teleological march of progress and gnarliness that was happening up into a certain point and then and then i think like the internet happens and time was a flat circle right. <laughs> but i also think that that um i also think that that millennial pessimism and desire to kind of like look back into the past was because it was very difficult for us to imagine a, a future mm -hmm. like globally, not just in skateboarding. I mean, this happened every, everywhere, like art, you know, like you had the Brian Jonestown massacre and the, the strokes and you had all these like throwback bands that were looking back to like the late seventies and early eighties and sixties and stuff like that. Like post grunge, like indie was like looking back towards like the sixties, you know? Yeah. So I, I sort of think that, um, that's what I think. I think like we've sort of been stuck in, in a lot of the brands and skaters came to maturity or had their first ideas of what skateboarding was like in that those early years of the new millennium. And it, and just, we haven't been able to see past that since because that formula seems to as stale as it is, seems to work for everyone. What do you have? Like the most fascinating mind of all time. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, what, I mean, what do y'all? That's just an idea. I mean, you know, I think they, I, <laughs> I, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need four minutes to think about this. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that there's a difference between telling a story that's rooted in history and nostalgia. Yeah, you know, I, like yeah, I, I think I think your project is like adding a lot of necessary depth to the conversation versus like what we see from a design or marketing perspective is just kind of like referential. It's just like pu- pulling on the the not the heartstrings, but the, you know, the, the heartstrings of your memory of, of like a, a Mike Carroll at EMB photo. Yeah. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. or, or like uh, another example, when Kyle was talking, I was reminded that like how funny it is that ASICs launched their program and their flagship pro is Gino, who just right. was also milked <laughs> for a new Balance That's what I was too. getting at. Yeah. And, and again, like I love Gino, you know, like seeing his praises. I grew up, you know, in that, in that era of skateboarding. But at the same time, I'm like, you've got Kwesi uh, carrying the, the launch of this brand and he's not, doesn't even have his name on a board. So like, what are we even doing here? Yeah. Yeah. What the fuck do you it's say really about my fellow New Yorker? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so fellow Queens uh, skate po- Astoria skate park <laughs> yeah, yeah. My, my, shout out to my local yeah sorry Alex I was I was gonna ask you because like NHS is like a, a really interesting kind of um, <laughs> the, no I mean I was like truly like the the most historical organization in terms of like r- roots as deep as anyone in skateboarding but also this very obvious overt and clear kind of strategy of bringing new writers into the fold of broadening the kind of notion of who a, an NHS writer is like essentially taking crux and having it be the sort of wedge to crack into truly like new avenues of skate exposure. Like what, what do you think about this? I appreciate the compliment. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, Santa Cruz is going to be 50 years old. 50 screaming. I, I years. think that there's like this growing period, this like growing pains with brands and like skateboarding eras that like there's this era of like 12 to 20 that's really tough for brands to get past. And then once you get 25 and older, like the nostalgia play does kick in. And I think people do buy nostalgia. I think they appreciate yeah. that familiarity. What I, what I think that like brands can't own is like the places that these things happen in. And that's where I think Ted tapped into something with this old ledge. Like it's not about the sponsors. Like everybody wrote for menace back then. It's like, no, it's like, it's like these, these landscapes and how they came to be and how these people ended up like funneling through the city down to the Embarcadero. And that's where, you know, that kind of stuff seems so magical and maybe that's part of the nostalgia i like i'm like oh my god that's like the playground like so many kids are just in sterile skate parks everywhere too you know they 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 don't have any concept and i think that this old ledge brought in a concept of place in skateboarding that people are people are appreciating ultimately that that's one of the great powers of it is that it's not to i mean i guess it's to sell you on a on a media organization, a very fine media organization, <laughs> but uh, it's not tied to a product release. It's mm-hmm. not tied to, um, hey, like here's, you know, we're doing a relaunch of, of this product at, at the dish or whatever. I don't know. That place is probably gone, but it really does just feel like something that comes from the heart and the mind of a skater that's about the places that your heart and mind and soul as a skater care about. I think that's ultimately there's a dangerous word. There's an authenticity about it that I think 
brands cannot voice, but you can. Um, yeah, I mean, I would be delighted if I could pair up with a brand and they would <laughs> pay for some of these <laughs> things. But, uh, but I just, you know, the other thing too is like, okay, I recently, after sort of dreading uh, even thinking about this, I, I've been alerted that the barracks is doing something that on the surface looks very similar to like what, what we've been working on, yeah. which is, uh, it's called spot registry. And you'll have like Jeff rally at Clipper staples, not, staples ledge. Yeah. 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 And basically talking about why it's a gnarly spot and who did what, where, when, you know? Yeah. And then it's costing at, at, um, at the courthouse. And, I was so glad that one, like, you know, if, if people have the choice between like hearing Eric Costin talk about the courthouse, and I, I would love to hear Eric Costin talk about the courthouse or me talk about why a spot got built and how a scene developed around it. Like, I'm glad that those are two different things. Yeah. And that, I, and like, I'm not trying to, you know, like, I'm grateful that, that this other show exists. And I think the Duran brothers do something similar with spots on their YouTube channel. And that's, that's cool. But like, I don't think that I'm stepping on anyone's toes with this thing. And I also have a good instinct for doing things that aren't terribly marketable and don't make much money. They're wildly marketable to all the fledgling skaters that are just now getting their master's degree in urban planning, of which there, <laughs> yeah, are, exactly. there are maybe tens or hundreds. Tens of them. Right. I know. I was like, uh, I, in researching like, you know, future cities. I was watching an old epically latered on Ricky Iola. And I think it's Josh Stewart has this thing where he talks about how like, you know, there's a certain type of skater who loves Ricky Iola. And it, that type of skater is ar already like old enough to like, and entrenched in skateboarding enough to like, not ever have to pay money for a traffic board. Or like, you know, like, just like, it's like, the, 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 the deeper you get into like being a Ricky fan, the less likely you are to like ever be in any position where you would be giving Ricky any money, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I, and I kind of like not to compare myself to Ricky Iola, but I think that like, I have that instinct of like doing niche things that, um, will only lead to me losing a job. There, and not there, one. there, there is though a very real pipeline of can't afford rent to online urbanist, which I think you've tapped into. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I, mean. I mean, no one, no one is more broke and, and precarious than like, <laughs> graduate school graduate students in the humanities so yeah those are my people but but i like again like you know to, to speak your praises i like the, just by sheer numbers i'm like wow like highbrow content is doing really like exceptionally well on thrasher it's pretty rad to see you know well i try to i try to curse and and <laughs> speak in quips and not full sentences to make it so ted like it. one thing you and i have talked about in the past is um the reality of what feedback your previous Instagram project, like kind of what the um, collateral realities of feedback were, right? Like essentially like a very particular kind of fame. Can you say anything about what it's like for you to be in this post-feedback world and live in the sort of peace that I, I, I sort of understand you to be living in? Like, this this is a new level of sort of exposure and attention and fame. Can you like how's it going? Oh, thank you. That's a great question. Uh, I think it's actually a lot easier that I'm doing this through 
that I have Thrasher as my platform. And so like, there's not one part of me that thinks like, it's not my responsibility if people don't get it because I'm reaching a much wider audience. And so I don't need to respond to any negative or positive comments. I don't need to take these things as personally as I did. And in a weird way, I'm not like, I was, I was watching like a, a, a gifted hater video on his Patreon and he's talking about Burberry Airy and how Burberry Airy is clearly playing this like role of this like persona. And that, and he's like, dude, these people on Instagram, like they just act like assholes and then they, they try, they try to play it off like they're like playing a persona. And I was like, shit, that's what I was doing. Even though I, kind of, you know, <laughs> satire, satire, satire. <laughs> right. But like, you know, at a certain point, it's like you're spending 90% of your day thinking about this or, or filtering yourself through this one thing. And no matter how dis- how removed you are, how sophisticated you think you're being about it, you're, you're still doing this in this world and it's, and it's fucking with your life. And yeah. so it's really nice. Like one, I'm pretty sincere when I'm doing that show yeah. and I'm like actually talking about things that I'm genuinely stoked on. And I really want other people to be into too, you know? And I, think that might i think that comes through and it's so it's like i don't have any like if people like it um or don't it's like none of my business because i've already just done the thing that i really wanted to do with it you know yeah um like i mean it's it's already out there and i'm stoked on it yeah so it's it's a different thing where it's like i'm there's less confusion about why i'm doing it personally internally and i'm also just like i'm not going to get into any beefs with anyone like performative or not because like this isn't my plot this is thrasher this is like i work for a company and the company is run by people that i, I do that l- love and respect and like i don't want to you know like yeah i'm not gonna shoot my mouth off and yeah run my foot off or whatever <laughs> yeah <laughs> were you anticipating such love though i think even in your just anecdotally you can see that uh your profile has risen positively no, I was really, I was kind of dreading <laughs> like the release, you know, I was like, yeah. oh shit, here we go again. And, <laughs> and I'll, you know, I'll admit like the, you know, whenever the videos came out, I, I would definitely like, I'll read the comments and I know I'm, I maybe got to work on curbing that. I'm not sure if that's like, if that's just normal or if that's something that is going to be really a huge distraction for me. But for the most, most of it, most of the time, it's just like an excitement. I'm just stoked that it's out and people are watching it. You know? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is much better than our uh, iPhone and uh, fountain water background noise. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's 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 Doug and Brendan, though. You know, like they're they're the guy. They're the my little team that like polishes the turd that is me. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and then I think leading out of it, the the one thing that you have managed to do wh- when, when I thought about nostalgia being bad, I just thought about the the impulse of or the emotion of nostalgia. But the one thing that you do do is use former skating to inform, not like you don't make a lot of normative claims, maybe like you should like this place or you should at least like respect the history or whatever, but you're not like a bull troll who's saying like, it's a, it's a lean air. Like, no, you're not, uh, there's you're no not that kind of know your history. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not that kind of know your history guy. What you do do is you say like, "Hey, you know how we have these like informal norms that happen around localized skate spots? Well, that impulse to 
draw up rules among locals or, you know, whatever. Learn a code of behavior actually has its, you know, its roots. The genealogy comes from this place. And, uh, yeah. and I think that kind of allowing that legacy to f- sort of carry into, you know, whatever our current state as skaters is like really well done. I have nothing but praise and, uh, and I don't, I think you avoid the nostalgia trap quite well, actually. Um, what I think part of it is, thank you. I appreciate that. And I just want to give credit to Kyle, like in his book for kind of talking about or exploring different ways that skateboarding can have meaning in the most fun thing. Like I just, like I, I've been thinking about that a lot. I obviously sort of read many of his chapters over and over and read them with my, on my Patreon and stuff. And I was just like, I'm, I'm a bad, I'm not a good judgment of what's good and bad, but I, I think I'm good at finding meaning in things and being able to express what things mean. And that's what I'm always trying to go for with this, these episodes is just be like, you know, I, whether you want to skate here or not, or ever thought about skating here or ever did skating here or not is like, it's irrelevant, but you know, the, but like what I, but this is what this spot can mean. You know, this yeah. is, there's an idea connected to this place. And this is one of them. I'm not saying this is the only thing like, you know, the, it's funny, the biggest pushback I got, like at least online on that peer episode was like, I was saying how like, yeah, there were, this was an intimidating place. There were, there were kind of like, there was like a code of conduct and there was a rule and I'm not saying it's universal, but like when you would go there and it's heyday, you felt it. And I didn't like it, you know, like I was, I didn't, I didn't position myself on one side or the other of it, but like, looking back now that those rules don't exist you can talk about it but at the time like that yeah, fucking sucked you know? <laughs> <laughs> i mean it sucked if you weren't good and cool and and dope and i was neither none of those things back yeah. then but um but yeah it's like hey i the person i rip off the most is monty don the british gardening <laughs> show star because he, he will go to v- visits these gardens around like europe or wherever and he'll just talk about what they mean and i don't know anything about gardens but i love just like learning what things mean or how things can be thought of you know yeah yeah thanks Ted. so you're gonna go to ricky's house next <laughs> yeah yeah in, in jersey um yeah we're well, I, as you well know, uh, we have been we filmed a, a bundle in New York, and uh, <laughs> you were there, and um, and I think we're actually gonna g- we're planning another trip in the fall to to follow up on some because you know you could be in New York for an entire year and scratch the surface of like significant places and and momentous events, you know, two years. Two years, in fact. Yes, exactly. Uh, 18 years, uh, even. So, uh, so I, you know, like I, the whole idea of the show was like, I want to travel. I want to like, while I'm still like able to roll around and like be able to speak the language, I want to do this, you know, maybe it's like a, a swan song, a a love letter, if you will. But, um, (laughs) but so yeah, the, the show, the plans for the show are that it travels and we will go to other cities and try to find cool stories to tell and highlight the the scene in the way that we do and then go back to San Francisco and do a few more in San Francisco and go down to LA and blah, blah. And go, go to the courthouse with Costin, go to, yeah. or, or, well, now uh, that I know staples. every trick that's been done and when it was done and how, how high it's at yeah. the, you know, that the stage was 26 inches. Like, and now I can, I can just, <laughs> 
glom off all that material and make my imitation show so much better. <laughs> we're, we're we're really excited for a, a Tempe season by it was season t- season twenty three with Brandy Colvin <laughs> and Colby Carter. That would be so sick. I mean, you know, like I was talking with Mo about this, uh, Marie Scrandall. And, um, you know, like all the irrigation and drainage ditches in New Mexico and Arizona. And there's this whole history of, you know, like Native American water rights and things like that. And yeah, like that, that stuff, like definitely all plays in. And then they became the the worst skate spots known to to man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Well, well, I do want to share an anecdote or something to sing your praises of, of how dedicated to the product you are. Did you talk about uh, Armageddon in, in New York? Uh, when oh, we God. Were, uh, Let's talk about it again. Okay. So I, I, I did uh, I did prompt uh, our friend at uh, Beyond Board. So maybe you'll hear the story twice. But uh, on the occasion of your coming to New York to, to work on the episodes, our famously polluting neighbors to the north decided to set their entire forest on fire which yeah, thanks canada t- turned the literally turned the sky like mad max armageddon like auburn and so in this in this air that is so toxic it is six cigarettes over the course of 24 hours if you breathe it in all day and all night but um, we were outside all day. Yeah. Yeah. But nonetheless, it it like did have like an insanely ominous vibe. Um, and everyone was kind of like remasking and for good reason. And um just like the 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 city really had like a, a very dark haze over it. And it was, you know, your one of your last days here, and it was like, should we film another episode? Like, sure, fuck it. Like, we're here. Um so we went down to the battery and it's like pretty cleared out because but whatever it like it the picture i have of you like it looks reminiscent of 9-11 it's crazy like yeah how much haze and among those buildings in downtown but um i think something of it had turned there was an aggression in the air which which turned a local against you do you want to talk about how we went from taking a picture to <laughs> to one of the most dramatic events I've had down there. Yeah. Well, first, right. I, so what I was in, I'd been in New York for a week already. And I noticed that like the first few days when I was staying on the Upper West Side with my mom, just to like, cause she was going to be there for my graduation. Like I noticed that like I, I was on edge because I, I just spent the last three years in San Francisco and I kind of had to drop my guard and remember that New Yorkers are actually pretty friendly and nice. <laughs> uh, but in spite of that, there was still just some like weird shit happening. Like the first time I went downtown to Chinatown, I saw some guy spit point blank in this Italian tourist face. And then like he was just staring at her, like making eye contact and he spits right in her face and she starts screaming. He runs off. This woman sitting on a bench is like, oh, my God, lady, I can't believe that happened to you. Are you right? She offers the woman a, a, a paper towel and then tr- and then asks her for money for using the paper towel to wipe off the spit that the guy <laughs> just spit in her face with. And I was like, <laughs> and it, so I was, the whole thing. And I'm just like, this is all really insane. Like, this is insane. And it, like, I don't normally see this. And I'm like, are these people in cahoots? Like, what's going on? So like the whole time I was kind of like. Am I, do I feel comfortable here? Am I street smart here? Or do I just, 
or is this a completely different city and it's changed in this direction that I don't recognize anymore? So when we're down there and we're like, ironically talking about the most, like, seems to me like the most safe, it's like the curb that Mark Gonzalez skates, like in Battery Park by the Staten Island Ferry, not to blow it up, but like, there's no reason why anyone would want to skate here, which was kind of the point of us being down there. And uh, yeah, this guy comes and starts talking to you as you're setting up the lights to shoot a slappy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And, uh, and I can sort of see from your body language. I don't know how you, you, this was experienced by felt by you, but like, I could sort of see that he, like, there's a weird vibe with this guy. And so I walk over and he says, he's like, I was just saying that you guys look like brothers. (laughs) And I was like, no, we're not brothers. Like, we have the same. Which is the nicest name. thing anybody's ever said to me about my looks. By I'm the way, I was flattered too. Like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I wish I was his brother. We had the same first name, but not the same last name. And then he kind of like, he kind of follows me over to like where I'm starting to, you know, get maximum speed for this <laughs> slappy. And he's like, he's like, look at your eyes. You guys are brothers. And I was like, no, you know, whatever. Like, I was like, we're not. And. I don't know. Maybe I gave him like a weird, like I was dismissive. I don't think I was though. I think I was just like, I was just like, you know, yeah, I was just like, we're just trying to, we're just trying to have fun. I hope you are too. Like have a good day. And he like, he's like, you should treat people how you want to be treated motherfucker. (laughs) And I was just like, cool. Okay. Well, we're just trying to skate. So, um, yeah. (laughs) And he like, he kind of like walks across the like street and then, I don't know how long it is, but he, next thing you know, he's like, you think I'm fucking playing? You think I'm fucking playing? Runs back, takes his hat off, throws his two bags down and swings at me. And I don't know, like, I, and I don't, again, my memory of this is just that like, all of a sudden, like, you're like, yo, 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 you know, and and like, and, and like, you're kind of like, ready to, to defend me and i have your skateboard like holding it as like a shield slash weapon <laughs> yeah. and like i'm yelling at him and then all of a sudden like i mean this is all retrospect yeah. but i'm like i'm glad it didn't escalate because you don't want to be the person that hits the person with the skateboard yeah. this guy's clearly crazy yeah like yeah. you know i mean you know he's like he needs help yeah um and and this we weren't being hostile to him. This wasn't like instigate. Like I didn't tell him to fuck off, you know, or anything like that. Like this is just, and so there's just no point to like fight this person or be attacked by this person. Yeah. And I'm not sure how it diffused. I would like to say that I exercised like good judgment and talked him down, but I don't even think that happened. I think he just decided he didn't want to like punch me in my throat, which he (laughs) said that he wanted to do. (laughs) Yeah, well, you you said what was true. You said we're not fighting. <laughs> like yeah. it was kind of like this thing of like, no, 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 no. That's not what's ha- that does. Yeah. He was clearly fighting you, but you just yeah. went, we're not fighting, and it okay. was like everything just kind of like slowly but surely. I mean, it, dude, it was so fucking scary. Like full sprint, dropped his shit and came yeah. at you, and I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I had a camera in my hand, and I was like, what the fuck is going on? And whatever after a minute or 30 seconds whatever it was you had gotten rid of it and i was so just turned off i was like all right packing my shit up getting ready to go like i don't know what the fuck's going on down here this day's fucking curse let's get out of here and you go you don't want to shoot that slappy still 
<laughs> well, the other thing too, I mean, I do remember like him being like saying a couple times, like I would have, I wouldn't have punched you in your face. I would have punched you in your throat. And I was just like, well, I'm well, glad you didn't, sir. Because no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds unpleasant. And the funny thing, the funniest thing is, is that like Brendan, our camera guy, who's like in these streets, you know, like he's filming everywhere. He just didn't even, he like was, was just like, am I fucked up for not thinking that was like, for just thinking that was normal? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Literally. So, yes. Yeah. Whereas like the two Ted's were were shocked in a gas, and I, yeah, I was pretty bummed for the rest of the day. I, I will admit, like that was that wasn't cool. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, anyways, that was uh, that. That's the extent you're willing to go to <laughs> this 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 old ledge. My war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're willing to put your body on the line for this series, is what I'm getting at. He's like, I, mean, I see. I see how you did San Francisco dirty. You're not filming a season in, in my city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I guess it's just you know, it is just we're still skateboarders and we're gonna put ourselves in these. I had this funny conversation with Burnett, uh, like in San Diego. Like I went and had breakfast with him, and I was talking about how well into my 40s, like the first time I went back to New York from San Francisco, I was like staying on someone's couch. And I was just like, oh, wait, no, like this sucks. And I could actually stay in a hotel because I'm an adult. <laughs> and Burnett was like, he's like, yeah, it's like weird when you grow up skateboarding and you realize that like you can use a spoon to eat your cereal instead of a skate tool. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in a lot of ways, like doing this show is we're just kind of like, oh, yeah, we're just going to go out here with all this like fan equipment and like be in people's space and talk about a thing. And, you know, because this is what we've always been doing as skateboarders. But yeah, there's always you, you can never prepare for the guy that wants to punch me in the throat. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of guys, I want to punch in the throat. Uh, did you guys read Ed Templeton's book? Just kidding. I, I love Ed Templeton. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> That's a good segue. Uh, oh. Kyle wrote this essay that was all right about uh, okay. Ed Templeton's book. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I've seen excerpts from the book, but uh, I was talking to Ryan earlier today just about, I mean, this is another nostalgic project. He's looking back at 1997 to 2012, the sort of the years where Toy Machine was Toy Machine, or it's 1993 to 2002. I, I don't know what the fuck the years are, but it's <laughs> uh, 95 through 12. All right. Anyway, so go ahead. It, it goes through sort of like when Ed Templeton was becoming Ed Templeton and Toy Machine in our popular imagination. And it's like, there are some really fucking powerful pictures in there. And, and it's just cool to see like young, hot, brooding Brian Anderson kind of like, <sighs> you know, with the with the context you have of him, whether it's like closeted or or just like a, as an up and comer, soon to be Sodi, like you have all of this extra textual knowledge to to imbue into the pictures that makes him a lot of fun to read. But as I was talking to Ryan, I was like, Ed is is a really good figure to me, similar to Jeff Rowley was. He was the first vegan that I ever knew about. I came from a hyper-religious background, and he was like the first kind of ardently atheist fellow, which that kind of impulse has aged poorly. But he was a guy who like really opened up doors to fucking Sonic Youth, art, like pictures not just as documentation in a magazine. Um, and so Devils, he was like- Devils, but cool. 
Devil, yeah. Uh, oh, you have, you've got nine fingers, like, except your body. Uh, yeah, he was, a, he was body positive for the nine fingered or whatever, how many letters is in machine. And so on the eve of this book, I, I've just been thinking about kind of Ed Templeton and, and the career he's had. And, and if you guys, do you guys like the pictures? Are you kind of offended by them? Are you, how do you feel about Ed as, as an artist and as a figure uh, who has aged right on par as any 50 year old I've ever seen? You know, it's, it's funny. I reached out I reached out to my two. I feel very fortunate in this life to have several people on speed dial I can like rely on. You know, I've got a philosopher at Stanford who I went to college with who I can like, hey, I'm thinking about apologies. We help talk through the morality and the like dirtiness of apologies and he'll do it. Um, but when I was assigned the task to read this book. I reached or to review this book. I reached out to my two art critic friends or art art historian. For, I guess they're both critics and historians, which who are Sam Corman and Ted Barrow. And Ted's Barrow's response was immediate, and if not vicious, then at least um, you know extremely honest. And you know, the thing about Ed is that he is polarized, like he's polarizing. And to be polarizing means that you've done something like no one is polarizing who, who hasn't put in a huge amount of work. Like to be polarizing is to have achieved a certain level of, you know, achievement with it, with your artwork. And, you know, to be polarizing with visual art itself is fucking like outrageous, right? I mean, you can be polarizing on the internet or you could be polarizing within your household. Yeah. Um, but to be polarizing as an artist, as a visual artist is, is a pretty stunning thing. Um, Ted B, you want to talk a little bit about your response to Ed Templeton? Um, I mean, I think the consensus was, well, I, let, let, let me also say that like Toy Machine was my favorite company, like when I still had favorite companies. Like, was it? So that yeah. shocked me. No, no, right. no but like, but I, I mean, I mean, like the Josh Kalish, Safa Lung, Jamie Thomas, right, like, right, right, like you know the I'll, honestly, like I was kind of pretty into it, like when Ethan and Jerry Fowler skated for them, like you know, like when it first started, I liked Toy Machine, and I really liked Toy Machine up through the BA era. And then All I was the way just, into the Josh Harmony era. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Billy Marks, Josh Harmony. No. And, like, and, and then as, at a certain point, like I kind of, I would say by around 1999, I was just like, okay, whatever. Like I'm, I can, I can, if I'm, if I'm a BA fan, I can skate actions now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, and I also agree with you, Ted S that Ted Schmidt's um, Ted S <laughs> it sounds like yeah, it's I don't, it's got a ring to it. <laughs> I don't know what you're comfortable with. This is my first time on the show. Call um, him Schmitty. He likes that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm Schmitty a Thrasher. Uh, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, I also appreciated as a nascent art person that Ed made art and he traveled around and he seemed to have a lot of interesting things going on off of the board as well. And that he, in a very immature nineties straight dude way played with notions of queerness in a yeah. way, like, I don't think it was commendable, but like not much was back then, but I think he was better than yeah. most in the fact that he was like, there was nudity, there was ambiguity. There was this sort of like, 
playful curiosity and sarcastic self-ridicule in his work that I found that I could connect to, you know? Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it was like ideal, but it was again, like not the worst. And I also just, yeah, I mean, I liked Egon Sheila and Larry Clark too at that age when I was 18, you know? So I, I like seeing someone that was doing work that was kind of inspired by that because you know, that's, that, that was, those were my kind of like ways into thinking about photography in a certain way and thinking about figurative art in a certain way. And like, you know, those are like the gateway drugs to deep. <laughs> those are the streams you take to deeper waters. Right. Yeah. That's so, what, yeah. 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 But I, it's not really a Templeton's fault, but just like, as I got more into art and started thinking about it and studying about it, studying it and reading more intensely, I, my taste went elsewhere and it was yeah. like, and so, and I, in the same way that I sort of like got into other types of skating and other styles, other companies, like I, I sort of didn't pay as much attention to his art. So it's very hard for me to see. I think the consensus that Sam and I came up with was that like when he was less skilled, he was more interesting, but as his technique has gotten better, he has, his like subject matter hasn't really evolved. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's not really something that we should be talking about when we're talking about this, this book, because this is a book from a, from yeah, a prior period to that. of time. Yeah. So like, maybe this is the sweet spot for him. Um, right. Right. You know, Alex, what was, what was your, what was your exposure? Cause like, I, I, you know, I'm going to be honest, like in 1996, I really believed in Missouri that you either watched mouse or you watched welcome to hell, right? Like you, yeah, you didn't watch welcome them both. to hell. Yeah, you were, <laughs> yeah. You, were, you were on yeah. that you were on that frame. Um, I, I I don't know. I was just like there was so little like women's representation in in skateboarding at that time too. That like the fact that Ed had Alyssa Steamer on his team and seemed to be like she, if she likes him, I like him. Like he's yeah. an ally in this very bleak world that we have right now. <laughs> you get, get a part in the video there's, and he takes photos one of skater. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's by association that I've, like, been a fan of Ed Templeton. I don't think I've been, like, directly influenced by him. Yeah. yeah. I, I think everyone's probably been grossed out by one of his pictures at some point in their life. Do you ever look at his photo books or his zines? Yeah, I think I have seen the, the other ones. Like, the what was the one of the teenagers, like, all making out, too? Teenagers um, kissing. Teenage, is that, like, literally the title of the book? <laughs> uh, it might be. He did Teenage Smokers, and then I'm... Teenage there's smokers. so much. Teenage Kissers. Teenage yeah, there's so many kids like kissing and kind of just being sloppy. Yeah, like, I kind of remember that just being sloppy. like a little bit disturbing when I like saw it. Yeah. Like, because I was just like, oh, it's like, it's a little bit like Girls Gone Wild vibes. Like, will you guys kiss from a camera? Like, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think, I think he's on record as having, well, like, he doesn't direct his street photography, but yeah, but yeah. It, yeah, there is a certain like, it evokes a certain ickiness, a certain stickiness too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's what he's going for. And, you know, I'm just not, I'm not cool enough to know better. <laughs> well, I, I think there's something about this and, and I defer, um, of course, to people who know, know more than me about this, but there is a way that like, this is art that in a certain sense, like in particular, these, these photos, right? Like amassing a huge number of photos, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, the project of st street photography, which is a very different thing now, um, in 2023 than it was prior to, um, digital film. And of course, you know, the ubiquity of phone cameras, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
But there is a way that this sort of work like does sort of resist or deny any sort of criticism. Like it is what it is, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's a sort of journalistic documentary element to it. There's a way that it, I'm saying all this because writing about this was very tough. Like I, I lived with this book for six weeks Mm -hmm. at least before I was able to like say anything about it. And part of that was my own sort of saturation of thinking critically about skateboarding, which I don't think I want to do anymore. Like I think pretty much period. Like I don't, I don't know that I'm really interested in, in doing the sort of thing where I try to say what skateboarding means anymore. I don't know that I can do that. I think I might be, I might've exhausted whatever that well is, but also there's a way that like, this is just, (laughs) this is just a whole lot of images of a time long gone. And you know, the, the challenge of a book like this is that it, you know, this is put out by what is it? Aperture is that the name of the he did extremely not put out famous? Aperture, did he? Yeah, it mm-hmm. is Aperture. You know, who put out Nan Golden? Like this is this is work with great lineage to it. And you know, one of the weird things about this book, and maybe where it gets interesting to talk about, is um, the back matter of this book. Once you get through the photos, is five interviews. It's um, it's an interview with Alyssa. It's an interview with BA. It's an interview with Eric Ellington. It's an interview with Justin Regan, and it's an interview with Ed. And like those five interviews end up giving all this context to these photos that, of course, for people like the five of us, already has all that context. Like we don't need that context. Like we know. You know, one of the things about Ed's work is it's you can't escape it if you're in skateboarding. There's no way to move through a skateboarding life without being privy and maybe be even inundated with Ed Templeton's artwork and his photos and the surprising penises and Deanna and like all of this stuff. Like you get it. You can't avoid it. Johnny Layton naked in the shower. Like it's just part of what it is. Um, and so it's really strange to read a book that's presented to the lay reader um, with the, particularly with these five interviews that are sort of like, here's what skateboarding is and here's what it was, because it does have this really kind of apologetic kind of um, tone to it, you know, like, Yes, this was going on, but things are so much better now. Or like, Mm. here's, you know, it's interesting that BA is in this photo with this, you know, porn playing in the TV in the background because BA is this figure who represents this to the skateboard world. And it was really, really strange and disorienting and kind of alienating um, to come upon this, these sort of back matter interviews and just realize like, oh, of course, like, we, we have to, if we're going to make this crossover that skateboarding has been making for the last 20 years, like we have to keep doing this. We have yeah. to keep introducing people to skateboarding. And I think maybe one of the challenges for me is like, I really felt like at a certain point, maybe we should stop introducing ourselves to the rest of the world. <laughs> like, do we have to keep telling people like what an Ollie is? Do we have to keep saying that for a long time it was it, it was a totally male dominated in- industry? Like it felt to me like really cumbersome and really apologetic. Like it really did. It felt like a kind of mea culpa, like not only mm-hmm. explaining what skateboarding is, but also like, hey, sorry for what skateboarding is. Um, and it's just strange. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where that gets us, but I do think there is an interesting question about like, at what point 65 years into skateboarding's evolution as an American cultural object, do we have to stop explaining it to people? 
And like, when do we have to stop apologizing for it? Like, because it really does feel at this point, like we're just turning this crank. Um, and I don't know, like jazz doesn't do that. Punk rock doesn't do that. You know, hip hop in its 50th anniversary is sort of doing that with these really kind of corny birthday things. But I just, there is a way that it really raised for me some questions of like, like, why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep, why do we keep over explaining ourselves to the rest of the world? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, part of that, I think, may have to do with the fact that, like, Ed is kind of, like, inextricable from a brand in that he kind of, I mean, even as he's tried to slyly subvert it a little bit in advertising, he still has to maintain, he needs to be able to sell, whether it's himself or the vision of Toy Machine or, you know, whatever else. And so I think every time, you know, he's branching out there, like... He he has that in the back of his mind of like protecting the image or of like, I don't know, to some extent selling. I mean, I, I don't fully know his motivations. I never met him. One time I saw him driving next to us and I took a Polaroid picture of him to return the favor. <laughs> uh, I guess to be clear, I don't, I don't think Ed's the one who did this, right? Like I think this no. was the publisher's idea. Yeah. Like, oh, we should really have some context here for the non-skate reader and it's just i just don't know who that reader is anymore like yeah yeah and i i uh, this is gonna maybe sound a little bit weird uh from someone who you know writes about art or tries to and wrote a you know did a phd on on it but sometimes i'm just like can't the images speak for themselves (laughs) and can't the images like mean different things to different people like you know like Instead of apologizing for how skateboarding was, like, look at the images. Most of them seem kind of abject and there's a lot of insecurity and precarity, you know, like it's like these empty fields and these random parking lots and, you know, like uh, the photographer and their subjects both are in this very weird place and not comfortable there, whether it's like because of their age, because of their identity, because of because growing up skateboarding in the late eighties and in the nineties, like was a, a outcast thing to do, you know? And, and like, and like, this is maybe a very interesting moment just because skateboarding hat is went from this thing that was totally insular and like that only the practitioners got to a thing that had to be explained to a art book buying lay audience, you know, in that time. And so yeah. I just, part of me is like, yeah, I agree with you, Kyle. Like, like, let's not rely on the text and do the images, uh, satisfy in their various ways. Do they have the potential to, uh, to stand on their own? And I'm, you know, again, it's like, that's, that's a question. I insist that I'm not a critic cause I'm not good at like having a criteria for ju- judging the quality of an image or the relevance. But like, mm-hmm. I, I think that they, they do have that multivalent potential and yeah. they're, you know, if you're you're an Alyssa fan, you can get the book and and fan out on Alyssa. If you're if you're a fan of teenagers kissing and Ed's dick, you can do that too. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or if yeah, like, like whatever. Master like, if fan of just... one of those. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Uh, <laughs> nothing but problems there. Uh, Ed was the stream that led to deeper waters. I I don't think that there was anybody else. Now, it became in vogue kind of early Instagram to be like a like a owning street photographer who 
like shoots on film or whatever that is. But you know, whatever. I did end up working at the darkroom at a university, a very prestigious university, by the way, <laughs> and kind of immersed myself or surrounded myself by those types of people. And I was like, oh, do you guys like this guy's pictures of his wife? And they're like, no, we don't. And then they showed me Harry Callahan. And they're like, these are pictures of a wife. And I was like, oh, God, cool. They're very good. Uh, oh, I, I assure you, there's there's this one of her butt crack that just looks like a twig, like because you he made it so contrasty, you can only see the the two creases, the vertical, like the x and the y axis. It's a, it's a truly transformative picture. But uh, anyways, that's kind of you know he led me into that. Not like he armed me with some some great references, but just even to consider a picture more than an ad or more than a piece of you know the the visual flourish to an editorial piece. It, it was just I don't know huge. And he was the first vegan I ever knew about, literally. And yeah, it's 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 funny just to kind of see it now and and to just not be as affected by it. But it's uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a really cool thing. It's certainly an important historical document. Yeah, like yeah. this is this mm-hmm. is a good record of a very a, a particular and probably more interesting strain of skateboarding from the late '90s than the one that gets you know. Th- more of the play right like i mean toy machine was the only company doing annual drives through des moines and davenport iowa like they were the guys who were in the van and ed was driving the van every year through the most ass crack humidity (laughs) but but summer like (laughs) awfulness um and they did it and they did it and this document is a testament to it and you know the fact is is the reason why like I don't know. I bet if we had Michael Warfel on this show, he would have a whole lot to say about Ed Templeton as an inspiration. And yeah. you know, it, it there there was there were a lot of people around the Midwest for whom Toy Machine was like it. Like that's what skateboarding was. Um, yeah. I, I will always hold a grudge against Ed Templeton because as a fifteen year old aspiring pro skater from Mace, Arizona, I found myself on a film bot files trip in San Francisco and attended the grand opening of the Beautiful Losers show. And (laughs) at that point I decided to drop out of uh of skateboarding, quit my sponsors and attend San Francisco Art Institute. (laughs) (laughs) And and at uh at at 19 years old I had to claw my my way back in, which would take me another eight years because I I quit crooked and Nike at that time. Horrible decision. Um but yeah, we know how you got back in through zero. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, weirdly, like, yeah, none of that stuff, you know, none of that stuff aged particularly well for me. And I can't really define, you know, again, I'm not, I'm no art critic, but I can't really describe to you why, like, Jerry's images are so evocative to me. And a lot of, a lot of, (laughs) (laughs) other than, uh, hashtag SpawnCon, but, uh, and why, and why so many of the kind of like skate artists of that, that generation, um, you know, particularly from the like beautiful losers cadre, like why, I don't know. Yeah. None of it I'm, I'm coming back to really like it, it did like, like you're saying, Ted, it did lead me down a path to, you know, these artists that I fell in love with Agnes Martin, Richard Tuttle, whoever, you know, the, the artists that I was, I became interested in, in art school, but, um, Thomas Kincaid. Yeah. And, and again, for me, there's <laughs> always this, uh, this tension between, <laughs> fuck off, Ted. <laughs> 
there, there's always this tension for me between like loving and thinking skating is the coolest thing ever. But when, when something is like dripping with like a skate ethos, like a, whether it's clothing yeah. or artwork, I, I, for whatever reason, it's just got this like tinge to it that I can't, I can't quite, uh, yeah, it's got know. marketing all over it. It's got like, it's got a little bit. It's and got it like might, a little bit of, yeah, like product it might, in it. And, and it, it also might be, you know, Ted and I, sorry to cut you off, Ted B, but we were talking about this earlier, but it might be that kind of, it feels like from the outside, Ed has really let go of, of Toy Machine, whether that was, was his decision or not. Um, but for me, that kind of like inflects his overall brand and like what I think of when I, when I, you know, like the, the image that comes to mind when I think of Ed Templeton is so, is, is so connected to Toy Machine. And again, I loved Welcome to Hell and Jump Off a Building. And I even liked fucking Toy Machine. Yeah, I love Good Needle. Yeah. Yeah. I even loved Toy Machine into the, what was that? The Kevin Barnett era. Yeah. Um, and it, it just, yeah, you know, I, it's not a brand that I really pay much attention to anymore. Yeah. And yeah. that has like had a reverse effect on your like view of his, his vibe. <laughs> I mean, it's it's also one of these things where it's like we all think we we know Ed Templeton, but we don't because none of us. I mean, maybe some of you have met Ed Templeton, but it doesn't sound like we have. <laughs> and and like, I would still be intimidated. I think I'd be like, yeah, I'd be. I would. Uh, I would too. And that's the weird thing is like now realizing that we're all adults and we're basically peers with this person that we admired. And it's like and it's like seeing your disappointing older brother not live up to like the the hero that they were when you were four (laughs) you know like or whatever older sibling like it's it's sort of like we're not allowing or at least i i realize that my heel digging in is that i'm not allowing myself to really look at his imagery because it's so familiar to me and i looked at it with like very untrained eyes for so long that it's like i can't really look at it as a I don't know. I mean, I, I'm mm-hmm. still, I'm, I find myself being dismissive in this way that like, isn't very fair to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if I generally am like, okay with most of it. Yeah. 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 I will say that, you know, the reason I, I didn't write about this book until week five or week six with it is that I needed to like, I needed to cathart like a fair amount of just institutional knowledge of yeah and like you know predisposition and yeah uh, bias against like here here's what this is i already know what this is um and i will say like just in closing maybe that it i i really do think this is a really wonderful document like i think it is a really good book i think by by the time i came around to finally being able to talk about it i did feel like this is this is a really beautiful accomplishment. It really is a, a really stunning body of work as a, on the whole, right? Like it is a cumulative effect. You can't look at any one photo, though he does have standout photos. Like the the value of Ed Templeton as artist is really a lot of it in the repetition in sort of like sinking into this series of photographs. Um, and I'm really happy now to have, have a copy of the book here on my shelf. And I do wonder what it'll be like to go back and look at this stuff in 10 years, in 20 years. Yeah. Um, if we are all alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I got to get I, that book. I, I also am just a firm believer, like the, the era of your favorite pro skater growing up. And now they're like an online personality that you have to encounter all the yeah. time. It's just overall, oh, like whack. it's, it's, it's rarely, worked well for me with with a lot of my heroes but i will say that i 
uh, and I, I ran into Ed at Whole Foods in Manhattan after an art show and ran up to him. I don't even think he knew who I was. And I thanked him for leading me down the path of uh, veganism and nose blunts. <laughs> um, uh, because he, yeah, he was a huge so influence good. on me growing yeah. up so you know i had to I, I had a lot of respect for him somebody who has aged quite well into their uh post-career life gino uh, <laughs> yeah absolutely the ledge <laughs> uh <laughs> big Carol. fan of nose manual when uh ruining skateboarding came out i think or uh something else wherever marby uh butt slid like uh lay back down clipper board slide dandra hobel just posted the clip and just said the best kind of skateboarding is always like saying fuck you like and he just loved that like he just loved that layback butt slide from marby and just hard posted it and i was like dandra hobel like so i would have thought you were a total fucking like caveman this is awesome uh hobel's an artist now i i know i gotta get one of his cutting boards yeah um Speaking of artists and how the world won't exist in a few years because Japan will exact its revenge from uh, from the two things we did to them, Yuto Horigomi had a wonderful part that is not a nuclear bomb, and I don't think they should do that to us. Uh, <laughs> did you guys did you guys like the the Yuto part? You <laughs> <laughs> had such a good segue earlier in the show. And, that was and a really fucking active. Really yeah, towing yeah. the line on the nuclear bomb jokes, Ted. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. What uh, I know two things. I know two things about Japan: the nukes and fucking uh, the guy who killed JFK used to live there in Atsugi. He did briefly. Oh right. Okay. I think the Yudo part rules. I think. I think my favorite skater is the skater who I didn't for some reason like for one reason or another um who comes around and wins me over there's no yes. you know there are few rewards for for being a lifelong skater but you kind of along the way if you have longevity is you get to see people change um and i don't know if yudo himself has changed exactly but i know that he's done what he's done long enough for it to mean differently at this point than it did when he first came out though there was always this thing about like oh he can do 540s which was fucking cool it was like oh by the way <laughs> yeah. like whatever else he can he can five 540 on a vert ramp um yes. so yeah i was i was fully on board i loved it yeah i think i mean architecture has a lot to do with skating just my opinion nobody else is on this podcast and to see him in tokyo is very refreshing as opposed to the third least beautiful city in america los angeles and yeah it looks awesome to see him on the tile ground but like also kind of in the shadow of lens which was like you know kind of fast feet well i mean Someone in all heels of 13 in it. But, so there's some big shit. But a lot of it was about like interacting with the landscape in like cool and, and inventive ways. And Yuto's like, there's a 14 stair rail that's steep as fuck. I'm going to crooked grind it. <laughs> like a very, <laughs> um, it, it's cool to have that sort of hyper urban background with, you know, whatever the beautiful tile work and just like classical hammers. <laughs> I, I've always been a firm believer too that like there's nothing cooler than skating big shit in a big city. Like when yeah. Jake Johnson came out in Minefield era, I was like, yeah, there's just a reason why it just looks cool. Like even yeah. if you're just grinding like a 12 rail in a big city with big buildings around it, it looks awesome. I think that if you look at like Japanese street skating, like the Evison crew and like those kind yeah. of videos that have been coming out and then you take like the world's 
biggest skateboard star, Yuto Hurigomi, and put him back in that landscape and he like crushes it is pretty incredible. Like, like that's such street points. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, do you find yourself because you're in the stadium with him counting his, his, <laughs> his stadium points? Do you find yourself judging his part? Like, Ooh, like could, I mean, he can't clean up any landing, but uh, do you, do you find yourself thinking about how to speak aloud about his skating? Yeah, I have. Oh, I mean, I have to interview him a lot. So they're always like, get you to get you to get you to like, even when he's hurt on the sideline, I have to talk to him about like a, like a knee bruise, you know, yeah. or like, and then like when he like he got sick at one of them and then they're like he showed up at the end. They're like, I'm like, he has a stomach flu. I'm not going near him. Like, <laughs> But um, he's he's very sweet and, and very genuine and very easy to talk to. And I appreciate that because my job is to annoy people. And yeah. and he does. Mine seem too. Very, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but the other thing I, I noticed about him that like in the contest arena that separates him from the rest, like Yuto's not even trying as hard as everybody else. Like like yeah. he's. He's either feeling it or he's not. And if he's feeling it, he can go like three more gears above all yeah. the best competitive skateboarders in the world. And, and he does it with like, like barely sweating, like no effort, like blanks. Like he just looks kind of like a tortured artist and, and he's just like, <laughs> so cool. <laughs> like, he, keep, he keeps his heart rate low. You can just tell when he's skating, yeah. you know, like a, like an elite runner. He, he like yeah. knows how to just like maintain whereas everyone else is like so gassed because they're running up and down like quarter pipes back and forth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And talking to people like everybody else on the sidelines, if you watch, they're always like Jamie Foy is like talking over to Nigel. And they're like all excited and like feeling all the energy of like being on stage. And he's just like so calm and does not address anybody, like doesn't talk to anybody and like stays focused the entire time. <laughs> That's xenophobic of them to not learn Japanese. They should. There was a, um, I also watched his uh, part in, or that like Supreme Paris clip with him skating there. Yeah. And there's this moment, it's the intro after that kid cries, which is super weird. Uh, like, fucking, like, painful to watch in a weird way. But there's a, an equally painful moment where that French poser, August, is, like, doing this corny ollie up three stairs with this stupid fucking arm. Like, you know. I know the arm. And, and Yuto's in the, in the background against the wall. And he's he's watching this, and I can't fathom what he might be thinking, but I would like to imagine he's like, I'm getting paid the same salary from Supreme as this fucking turd. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you're post-Supreme. Uh, I mean, you know, like, which he is, because it's a fashion skate thing, but like, you know, like, why would he get paid more? That is that face. <laughs> it just is a, just of immense confusion and frustration. Just like, wait a second. I, I'm like a medalist and I'm a world-class skateboarder. Medalist. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, this is my first time in Paris. And this guy is like a supreme veteran, like native French skater. And I'm not even sure if he knows how to kickflip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> And he stinks. <laughs> uh, how'd you guys watch this? I watched it like a fucking, like the dumbest undergrad in your class that gets a PDF that's rotated 90 degrees. So they spin their laptop onto its side. That's how you watch the Supreme video? That's how I watched the, the one in Paris. I just oh. I watched it on Instagram, which they uploaded 16 by nine vertically, but it's a 
horizontally filmed video. So I just turned my phone and watched it and it had all of the fucking TikTok information bars, like the like sign and like all the information of like who's in it and the tags and whatever running on the opposite axis that I was viewing it at. It was, it is I just watched that on YouTube. That sounds like a terrible way to watch that video. I think, I think it was the worst idea I've ever had while watching <laughs> something about skating. I'm currently uh, watching it muted on my phone right now because I haven't seen it. Turning yeah, your phone sideways. You're missing the track. <laughs> the track. You pay a lot of money for that song, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. my god. Yeah. It does. It does raise a sort of interesting question, though. Like back to Ted's um, Pier Seven thing, right? Which, like, in a certain sense, did get get us into the the risky, the dangerous sort of, you know, borderlands of gatekeeping. Like, well you know, there was a time when this is kind of how it was. And you learned to value things by the people who, you know, taught you that. However, those, those sort of educations were, you know, uh, were, were uh, given, right? Like you, you understood things because these people were cruel to you. Um, like, it does raise a really interesting question, which is like, what is it like? Like, what is it like for the people who are actually super good these days in skateboard? Like, what is it like for Yudo to be in Paris with these fellas who are, you know, primarily there for their looks and for their package and for the way that they present on a skateboard and, you know, the, the way that they can model and sell clothes? Like, wh what is it like for someone like Yudo to be added to the Supreme team when he is so exceptionally above and beyond them in terms of skill? Like what a strange reality that we now have, like one of probably the world's top three skaters on the same kind of company and the same quote unquote team as some people who are just like purely attitude and conveying selfhood in, in different ways. Like what a strange fucking thing. Well, I mean, I, I would just say that like, you know, the appeal of any brand in skateboarding has to do with its uh, it's like the, uh, clout bomb, you know, like the more, the more people you can get in there and like, it's a domino effect of who, like the more people are going to connect to it, you know? So like, um, so, and I think I don't want to speak for, uh, like the brand like Supreme, but I would say that like, you know, they, that's a surprising move that they could have someone like August and, and him and all these other people. And like, you just never know, like it only it it does kind of only help them and i'm sure like you know like who else would he, what other clothing company would he skate for like you know like was he going to get on polar <laughs> big boys like or whatever like i don't know louis Volcom? lopez rides for noah and for some reason i could just see some some other miracle like that happening yeah it's uh, you know on noah good work it's this weird thing where like uh, like soft goods make more money than than hard goods and people are going to be making the probably more money off of their their soft goods check so yeah um you know like like it or not like supreme's probably like a good uh uh fit because they make a variety of things and they're going to constantly be like updating yeah i there there are two things ab about uh Kyle's question or statement i can't remember what it was but <laughs> what must it be like to be that good at skating around other people? One, it's illegal to say a bad thing about Caleb Barnett on the show, Arizona legend. But 
what happens usually is you go on a trip with somebody and if you're not a complete dickhole, then you become friends with people and you just are like stoked and honored to be on a session. And what usually they don't know each other's pay, but it's like, so the first thing is like, oh, sick. Like I'm hanging out with Caleb. He's actually like a really fun and cool guy. So that's part of it. And you have closer proximity to Arizona clout, which everyone's trying to get these days. (laughs) And then the last thing... The last thing is if you're somebody like me, you look around and you go, I'm the best one here. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I'm, and I'm yeah. sure that that feels great for him. Uh, or at least, at least makes whatever a move or like holding, holding space in that court feel like comfortable or whatever and being like, cool. Like, well, I'm around the baddest motherfuckers and I can hold down the heaters. Like, this is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm the, I'm the muscle. I actually uh, really w- like, you know, I, I just finished that edit, but also his part. One thing I really like about his street footage is that it's not overwhelming. Yeah. Like it's, it's just kind of like classic good skating flip tricks down 10 stairs, rail tricks on like 12 to 14. Like, it, it, and, and he's not constantly doing like 270 lip slide shit because I don't watch street like a whole lot, but every time I watch, I'm like, Oh my God, I cannot. I gave you my t- rumble password. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot, I cannot take another 270 to lip variation. Um, and I don't know. It's cool. Just seeing him. Like you said, you'd like crooked grinds, a steep S 12 rail and then lip slides, a big handrail and three flips, like a 13. It's like not <laughs> totally out of reach where you're just like, yeah feeling defeated when you watch it in the way that I think like Nija approaches his parts. <laughs> Ryan, um, I wanted to check in with you on that because you know, your sort of line has been that the sort of stair set bangers flip tricks down stair sets have kind of evaporated from skateboarding. Do you feel like we're in a resurgence? No, have, are no, you seeing no one's no one's skating more than 14 anymore. Mm. I, I, I feel like I, I even on the last New Balance trip I was on, I, I asked everyone about that and it seems like that era is over. No, no one's doing because for us, like the benchmark was uh, Courthouse 15, the, the where Reynolds does the line where he kickflips it and the screen goes black. And then there was the yeah. 16 at U of A and people used to do fucking insane tricks down those things like nollie flips and three flips. And I just don't I, I don't think anyone has the. Like, there's just no reward for that kind of skating anymore. Like, people would rather see a really, in Yuto's case, perfectly executed three flip down like yeah. a, a cool looking 14. 13 or whatever, 14, which is, that's big still, but not Reynolds stay gold era. Like, I think that that really was like the, like that like birthed Jocelyn and then Jocelyn kind of like hammered it into obliteration and no one wants to see that stuff anymore or no one wants to do it rather. Yeah. yeah nope, nobody wants yeah. to work anymore. God damn it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. The millennials killed the 16. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the name of the show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got it. No, um, no, no, no nostalgia for the uh, flip trick down plus uh, 16 plus era. No. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be damned really if, funny. If, we, if we see that. <laughs> Um, this all pledge meets my war mashup. Did you guys watch the, the? Did you guys watch by chance the Jaws uh, heel flip down El Toro attempts? That was no. he did not even get close. I'm gonna no. throw this in the chat. He did not mm-hmm. even get close, and you know, God love him. But that was just such a funny era when you know people would put their whole careers on on uh, on landing a flip trick down El Toro. 
Yeah, I mean, the, you can sort of under you completely understand why that wouldn't like why that had to end or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, it's something called the ACL, <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> it's um, like a there's like a bell curve of like how health insurance costs go up and stair sets go down. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the inverse correlation. Well, everyone, I think we had a great time here. Did we do uh, it? I Trick challenge. He'll 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 flip down a six. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's so mean. He'll flip El Toro. <laughs> fuck it. I think heel flip off a drop was actually a, uh, it's a challenge for me. Regular regular heel flip is too much. Everyone do a nollie back two seventy heel flip lip. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'll do that in Bolinas. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any good ideas. You got a good one, Ryan? I, I'm just gonna go with heel flip on a drop. I right. I, I uh, next episode I want to talk about whether or not we think skating's getting older. That's something I've been I've been thinking about and asking a lot of uh, a lot of people in the industry, and I, I'd be curious to hear you guys' take. So a little little industry. sneak peek of of whether or not we could. Uh, I have stats. Yeah, <laughs> Alex has Do got you? the data. Oh, I have data. <laughs> to answer your question, yes, and then let's get into it. Yeah. You, um, got shoe, shoe, you got shoe brand signing thirty-five-year-olds over here. Something. <laughs> that's what so I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> so the industry is not well. Yeah. No, actually, um, I think it's more conscious, 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 conscious consumers. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, you know, we'll save it for next one. But kids yeah. don't have any fucking money. Kids don't they spend have money. It all on iPads. They don't know what's going on. I have kids. They have no fucking clue what's going on right now. Well, don't let them know. The second you you open their eyes to it, it's not a pretty picture. They asked uh, me to buy them a Fortnite t-shirt. Like <laughs> they don't have a clue. They don't know, they don't yeah. know anything. Yeah. Here's a picture of naked Ed Templeton. <laughs> <laughs> Here's wires crossed instead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Grow up! Culture <laughs> yourself, damn it! <laughs> um, you know, get him a $400 Supreme Puffer. <laughs> With a naked picture of Ed, Ed Templeton branded on it. <laughs> I feel I feel like I, I feel compelled to let the audience know that I just got through an hour and a half of podcasting in 112 degree heat. Oh, yeah. what yeah. a sacrifice. I have 40% humidity in my room. <laughs> yeah, that is actually pretty remarkable. Uh, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you. Thank yeah, all of you for your yeah. sacrifices. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for looking at Ed's dick for a while, Kyle, for us. No, so yeah, I thank you. Do. I just read your article while we were talking too. It's good. It's really good. <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. It's all right. It's all right. It's, it's, a, it's a kind <laughs> of it's a kind of article you read while you're podcasting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the idea. That was really <laughs> ideal conditions. Um, we didn't even get to talk about. It. I saw Beyonce last week. person, candidly, yeah. or in the show? No, no, no. She was on, she was on stage. There were seventy thousand of us, or however many. Oh, Wait, did you go to intimate, Houston? Intimate show. No, I went to St. Louis, Missouri to see it. Anyway, we can talk about that later. Uh, you guys, thank you so much for this chat. I look forward to heel flipping off a maybe like Curb. two foot knee high. Knee high feels pretty peaked. All right, I'm going yeah, to the they, Brooklyn Banks tomorrow. Yeah, well, you, I bet you will. <laughs> oh my God. Um, you, if you heel flip, what is that? Nine? Is it a it's nine? It's nine. It's, it's yeah. more painful than I want it to be. All right, everyone. Good seeing you. What a fucking gang. What that an absolute, fun. what an all time conversation. conversation. Thank you again to everyone for listening. 
Our intro music is by the wonderful band Roar. Our outro music, or credits music, is by the wonderful Dylan Brine. Logo and graphic design, as always, is by Michael Warfel, and this episode is mixed and edited by Adam Burns. Saw backs.